0: Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in.
1: Hello, thanks for joining us today. So thankful to spend some time in our online service, to spend some time with you, to just hang out, to dig into God's Word, just to, to listen to a message that I pray that is encouraging to you, that will it has been an encouragement to me. And in our time together today, I just hope that... that we can press into God's word and hear a message straight from his heart to ours, and that we can grow in our faith and our relationship with Christ today. And so we're going to jump right in. We're in our series called Follow Me. We heard from Pastor Jeff last week a great message to kick off the series. And so we're talking about Follow Me. A couple of the greatest words that Jesus ever said, in my opinion, two simple words that, that absolutely changed everything. I mean, it changed everything. It's a call from from God, from Jesus directly to us—a call to accept Him, a call to action, a, a call to die to ourselves, a, a call to live at the for Him at the same time. And, and so, w- we absolutely miss out sometimes on the power and experience that we can have of God working in and through our lives when, when I get in the way, when, when the me gets in the way. And so we're gonna talk about, in, in this series and over the next few times together, we're gonna talk about uh, moving past, just moving past the, the fear of it, moving past the what holds us back and seeing God go to work in our lives as we follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And so we're gonna do that today starting in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus is, is speaking to a group of people that, that have shown some sort of interest in, in him, that, have, that are, they're inquisitive, they're, they're, they're questioning like, who is he? What does he come to do? Some people, they, they've seen him do great and amazing things. And, and so he's telling them that basically, hey, if you want to come after me, if you want to be a part of what I'm going to do, I, I, I'm, I'm about to, to, to tear things up. I'm about to change things around here. And if you want to be a part of that, there's some things you got to do, some things I need you to be aware of before we can do this together. And so in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus speaking, he says, then he said, then Jesus said to them all, if anybody wants to come with me, He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, it's a pivotal word, daily, and follow me. Jesus makes it very, very clear right from the jump. You have to deny yourself. If you want to be a part of what I'm going to do, if you want to be a part of the change that I'm about to bring, if you want to be a part of who I am, if you want to be with me, it starts with you denying yourself. The, The word deny here used um, in, in this passage, if you fast forward into Luke chapter twenty-two, uh, Jesus is 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 going to be arrested. He's telling his disciples at this time about what what's about to come for him. And, and this process where he's going to be uh, crucified and buried and, and be resurrected on the third day. And he's telling them about this, and Peter gets real fired up, the, the apostle Peter gets real fired up, and, and he's telling Jesus, no, nah, man, it's not going to be that way. And Jesus, Jesus tells him in Luke chapter 22, Jesus says, hey, and you may be familiar with the story, with the account, Jesus says to him, he says, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And so the same exact word, deny, I'm kind of a word nerd, and when I study these things, I like to get my mind wrapped around them. And and, and the original language, I can't pronounce the original word, but the original language is the exact same from Luke 22 to this passage in Luke 9, verse 23. You must deny yourself. Jesus is saying you have to completely deny who who you used to be. You have to turn completely away. What Peter did at that time in Luke 22, when Jesus was arrested and they said, hey, aren't you with him? Peter was like, no, I'm not with him. Peter got, by the third time, Peter had gotten so angry and so frustrated that he was calling down curses. He was using ugly words and saying, I don't have a fat clue who that guy is. I don't have nothing to do with him. I don't want nothing to do with him. Leave me alone. That's the Allen paraphrase. That's the Allen translation. Jesus is using this same language here because I think Jesus wants us to understand that this is, this is about denying who you used to be. You see, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, when you begin a relationship of faith, when you accept Jesus' offer of forgiveness of your sin, because we've all sinned according to God's word, and, and we've fallen short of what God has designed for us, we've fallen short of that, and so Jesus bridges that gap. And so when we accept that, that we confess our sin and we accept that gift of forgiveness, Jesus is saying... You deny that old self and say, "No, I want to be who this, I want to be who Jesus says I'm going to be. I want to be this person that God designed me to be. This is who I want to be." Yes, I've 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 sinned, I've, I, and the payment of that has been paid. And so, since I don't owe anything now, I'm going to turn this way and go forward. I want to deny who I used to be. The same way Peter denied knowing Jesus, it was a harsh rebuke of self. I don't know you. I don't want to know you. I don't want nothing to do with you. Leave me alone. That's the. Same Essentially what Peter said, and that's essentially what Jesus is challenging us to say to the old self, the self. And we're going to look right here in just a second what Paul has to say about who we are in that old self. Here's what Paul has to say. Paul says, if we talk about denying self, he's saying put to death, like you need to move away from this. And so Paul in Colossians 3 is speaking to the church uh, they are a group of people, and he says he he wrote a letter to that group of people the same way you and I are meeting today through a video message it's it 's basically just a, a long distance communication right and so Paul is saying to this group of people he says hey because you you have a relationship with Jesus because you know who he is and you 've chosen to follow him he 's speaking to the church right." He says, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, who you used to be, who you were before you knew Jesus. Sexual immorality, put to death these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. He's saying you need to put to death these things. Because of these things, God's wrath is going to come on the disobedient. So the punishment for this, God's wrath is coming for the people who continue to walk in those things. He's saying, but because you know Christ, don't walk in those things anymore. He said you once walked in these things when you were living in them. So the old person you used to be, who Jesus is telling you to deny, he's saying you used to be that person that was involved in sexual immorality and lust and evil desires and greed. He says, but I want you to to put to death those things. I don't want you to walk in that anymore. He says, but now you must also put away all the following. This is a whole separate list. And and in my Bible, I'm I'm, I'm right here in my notes, I wrote this. These may be the, quote, little sins that Christians Christians allow, but Paul says you got to put them off too. He doesn't just deal with the big stuff. He deals with the entire life. He says, now you got to also put away these things. He said, put away anger wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. I'm glad that he was writing to them because we don't struggle with any of that anymore, amen? He says, you gotta put all these things away too. He says, and don't, let, don't lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices. Yet again, you've put off the old self. You, have, you are denying who you used to be. That's what Jesus is telling this group of people in Luke 9, similar to the message that Paul would eventually say to the group of people in Colossae. He says, you have put on the new self and you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. You are created by God with wonder and purpose. This is not about, this is not about denying your individuality or your personhood. You were created uniquely by God with wonder and purpose. There is no doubt about that. God's word is clear on that. This is more about who you were before your relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have one today, then this message what Paul is saying here is essentially saying, this is who you are. You're walking in these things, and that's not who God designed you to be. You were you are you are created in the image of God and he has a specific plan and a purpose for your life and it's contrary, the way this group of people were living the way I lived before I met Jesus is contrary to the person that God wants me to be. And so it's like having two separate people it's like to having two separate folks. But anyway, to finish this passage, in Christ, there's not two separate people. He said, man, there's no difference between Jew and Greek. I mean, all the racial divide and all these things, man, Paul's saying, there, in Jesus, there's no divide. You're all the same. He loves all of you equally the same because of who he is. He says, but Christ is all and in all, such a great promise from him. This is not about denying your individuality. This is not about saying I don't matter because you do. This is about saying I will follow the desires of God from God's desires for my life. I will surrender to that. I will I will deny the things that I want. The the selfish desires the the lust the the greedy desires the evil desires the greed the, the, all those things that come before the new nature before we put on that new person with Jesus and like, what I, the point I was trying to make when it's like there's two people. It's like there's two people, two two people. The old me that 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 lived and walked in those things comes and says, "Hey, man, let's go back and live this way. It's so much fun." The new me, the the, the renewed person that 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 I am now that Christ has come and a, and is a part of my life. I look to that and deny that the way Peter did Jesus. I don't know you. I don't want to know you. I don't want any part of what you're doing. I'm going to follow this path. That's what he's saying in deny yourself. You see the definition, I was looking this up, the definition of self-denial, I was looking it up this week, and the opposite of self-denial is self-indulgence. It's kind of interesting to me that Synonyms to self-indulgence are debauchery and depravity and those things are about sinful pleasures and about pleasures of the flesh and the things that feel good and sound good. A lot of that list Paul wrote down in Colossians 3, he's saying you need to move away from those things. So the opposite of self-indulgence, the opposite of what he's saying is is self-denial. It is to be more closely associated with Christ than we are with ourselves, especially in a difficult culture that is self-seeking. There's no doubt the culture that we live in today is self-seeking. There's always opportunities to gratify self. I, I joke around with people and they'll offer me a, a, an extra slice of something or an extra piece of cake or an extra piece of candy or you know, soda or something. They'll try to give me, here man, have one of these. And, No nah, man, I better not. I'm trying to quit. It's just kind of a joke. But the truth is, this isn't the, the, the process that Jesus is talking about, self-denial. It's not about denying myself an extra piece of cake. This isn't about saying no to that, that, that second uh, cookie or third, fifth cookie, however many. It's not about denying myself the, 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 the things we enjoy. I, I, I think it's best said this way. This isn't about giving up something you enjoy. It's about giving yourself up to Jesus, that's what self-denial is about. It's about letting Jesus have complete control over my life and refusing to pursue the desires of the flesh. Paul told a group of believers in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, he tells them to take off the former way of life, to take that old self off that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Because Jesus is saying, if you, want to, if you want to be with me, you must deny yourself. And that means that your life is probably going to look a lot more like mine each and every day. And so self-denial, self-denial is not only essential when we come to faith in Christ, but also as we live as faithful disciples of Christ every day. So it's not just about that initial moment that you may say yes to Jesus and saying, okay, cool, man, I'm a brand new person, I'm good. Self-denial is about the entire life as following Christ and and constantly and every day having to say no to the things of the flesh, having to say no to the person that I used to be, having to deny the old self and and embrace this new person that Christ has called me to be and being defined by his word and seeking those things. And we're going to look at a a pretty cool idea of what that may look like in a minute. Jesus adds to this, he says, you got to deny yourself and then take up your cross. You see today, in so many ways, the, the, the cross, the cross is a term of endearment. Uh, the cross is a symbol of faith. The cross is a symbol of love. Um, you know, we wear them around our neck on chains. We, we, we get tattoos with crosses. We, I, we've got several crosses hanging up in my house right now. Uh, we, we, we see it as a, a symbol of freedom and, 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 and joy and forgiveness and grace. And it is those things. It is those things for the believer. But the context for the cross, when, when Jesus made this statement in Luke chapter 9, you see the, the cross was more, the Roman Empire used it as an instrument of death. For what the hearers of Jesus' statement in that context, when, when he made this statement, what they heard, the cross is a symbol of pain. The cross is a symbol of suffering. The cross is a symbol of humiliation. The, the cross is a symbol of death. And so, what Jesus meant when he said, "You've got to take up your cross," what they heard initially was, they're thinking about this vision of of, uh, of a person being crucified, taking up your cross. That so many times today, it's about you know these burdens that we carry, and I don't know that that's inaccurate in in every in every way. But when Jesus was telling this group of people, he didn't mean that they necessarily had to go die every day. That's not what he was saying. Because it was believed that more than 30,000 people died by crucifixion just in the 30 plus years that Jesus was alive on earth. And so this was something they were routinely uh, uh, they were it was customary for them to see this or routine for them to see this it was it was the for the Romans it was customary for them if you if you if you um, rebelled against the Roman authority they would they would enforce their authority in a final way of making you carry your cross to the death to show you that they were the ultimate authority that they had the power and I think in in this. In every execution by crucifixion in the Roman Empire, I think in most cases there were spectators. There was a crowd, there was always a crowd. Some when Jesus was crucified as he carried his cross through the streets as he made his way up to the hill where he would give his life for to pay the atonement for the sin for you and I. Jesus there were there was a crowd, there were some were broken, some were distraught, some were in tears and in pain for him. Some were cheering, some were excited, but there was a crowd. But see, today Jesus is saying that there are no spectators in this, in this. As you take up your cross and follow him, I, I, I reflected this week, how many times am I the spectator? How many times do I see a brother or sister uh, going through a, a difficult time through persecution or humiliation or ridicule or uh, some sort of uh, difficulty because of their faith? You see, we don't deal with that a whole lot in our culture. Uh, here in America, we don't see a lot of that. But the truth is, in some places in the world, to, to be called a Christian and to walk a life that is submitted to Christ absolutely means death. And so I wondered how many times am I a spectator? How many times do I watch as other people have to carry their cross and walk through these humiliations and ridicule and, and, and pain and suffering? And, and I also thought, how many times do I deny taking up my cross because I'm afraid of what it'll cost me? Because when Jesus was put up on a cross, he even said, when I am lifted up Talking about the cross, he would draw men and women to himself. The thing is, when you were put on a cross, you were visible for everybody to see. And so as we take up our cross, we're going to stand out in different ways. And so I, I think I'm guilty of, uh, in that process of thinking through that and, and maybe sometimes not carrying that cross because the thing is too difficult or I'm afraid of what happens And it's not about counting the cost, just about counting the cost. It's being certain that following Jesus is worth it, whatever it costs. No matter what the cost is, following Jesus is worth it. It's it's talking about forcing a condemned criminal to carry the cross to the place where they're going to die. That's what uh, um, take up one's cross meant. And this showed that you might have uh, rebelled against the authority, but the condemned person was now so completely conquered that his last act in life would be to carry this thing to the place of his death. It was a show of submission. That's what Jesus is calling us to. It's a call to be submitted to Jesus in every way. You see, the, the cross is, is not just about when we first come to Jesus and, 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 and say yes to him. We, we can't expect uh, when we come to him to, to gain popularity or fortune or, or, uh, or uh, be famous or success. It's probably more that we would suffer rejection and pain because that's what his life was like. And he said, I want your life to be like mine. And so I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that we're probably going to face difficulty because his word says we will. But when Jesus calls for self-denial and cross-bearing, he's claiming authority. And no matter where we are in the faith journey, the cross is as central to following Christ daily as it is to knowing him initially. And so no matter whether you start, if you're just starting a journey of faith and and getting to know what it means to follow Jesus or whether you've been following Christ for decades, the cross is still central to following him. It's still central for us to deny ourselves and to turn from who we used to be to embrace and submit to the cross, to, to submit to Christ, to, to give utter submission and say we have no claim to authority, God. We fall under your authority completely and utterly because you are and there is no other because the cross is central to following Christ no matter where we are in the journey. Jesus in Luke chapter nine, he says deny yourself. Then he says take up your cross daily. Then he says to follow me. See the daily part, I think, when 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 Luke adds the daily, it's a reminder that this is a daily commitment to surrender your life to Jesus no matter what. And then Jesus adds, following me. And what does follow me look like? We could have probably spent a whole time together in this one part of the passage. Following Jesus leads to ministry. And that doesn't mean that following Jesus means I'm going to be on staff at a church and be a pastor, or I'm going to be a worship leader, or I'm going to be some kind of guy working or lady working at the church. That's not what ministry is. Ministry happens Every day in your life, in your home, in your marriage, if you're married, if you're a parent, it happens with your children. Ministry happens no matter what your job, no matter what your calling, no matter where you are. Ministry is real and following Jesus always leads to us doing ministry. And so what does ministry look like? Well, Paul, in that Colossians 3 passage, he gives us a little bit of a window into, into what that may look like. And so let's finish up the Colossians 3 passage. He says, therefore, God's chosen ones and holy and loved. Here's what ministry looks like for us. Here's who we get to put on, who we get to be now, this new person. He says, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Such a great, <laughs> a great start. He said, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Jesus doesn't talk about holding a grudge. Paul is not saying hold this grudge. If somebody does you wrong, man, you really got to hold on to it and never let it go. He says, as much as Jesus has forgiven you, you need to forgive others. Man, you don't need to complain about one another. You need to forgive one another and be kind. He says, above all, put on love. It is the perfect bond of unity. He says, let the peace of the Messiah, let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, unity, to be together, control your hearts and be thankful. He says, and let the message about the Messiah, let the word of God, one translation says, dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. I love this part of the passage. Let let God's word dwell richly among you. Let's teach and admonish each other, encourage one another with God's word, with wisdom, and and help each other grow in our faith. Let's, Let's worship, let's sing psalms, let's worship together as a church, singing hymns and spiritual, Songs and let's do it with a thankful heart to God because He's done so much in our lives. And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or in deed, no matter what, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, to the Father through Him. You see, this follow me leads to ministry, and what does ministry look like today? For in a practical way, I don't know. I wrote down some ideas, some thoughts that. I think it leads to the involvement in the lives of others. I think it always does. It's not just about being comfortable in a church setting and and hanging out with people that think and act just like you do. This is about interaction with people you can share the gospel with, people that, that may not know who Jesus is, that you can share that. If you're a believer and a follower of Christ, that would be the challenge here to you. It leads us to interact with people who oppose our faith, but to do so with gentleness and respect. That's what 1 Peter chapter 3 says. He says, "Be always be prepared to give a defense of the hope that lies within you, but do so with gentleness and respect. It's not about being harsh and ugly. It's about being able to present the gospel in a way that people have to wrestle with that. That's between them and Jesus, not them, you and them. It, it leads us to interact with people in all ways, in all shapes of life, all places in life it, to show the love, truth, and grace of Jesus. I tell you what, following Jesus leads to studying my Bible. It leads to spending time in prayer. It leads to corporate worship and being part of a church, a church body and, and encouraging others. It leads to serving not only in the church, That is part of it. It leads to serving in the community as well. It leads to to giving of our resources so that we can help meet the needs of others. Following Jesus ultimately leads to an intimate relationship with the Father. See, giving our lives to Jesus all the way and living as an others-centered person does not take away from our lives, it adds to it. You see, there's a common misconception that if I give my life away to Jesus, that I lose everything. No, Jesus said, man, it it adds to your life in considerable ways if you follow me and you're focused on me and on others and forgiving others the way I've forgiven you and walking as an other-centered person. Because here's the takeaway today. You can't live a resurrected life with Jesus without first dying to yourself. The two are incompatible. I want to encourage you today, if you're a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you, to, to, to pray through this message, pray through God's word more importantly and see how God would press into your heart. Are there places you're holding on to the old you, the person you used to be? Are there places where God's asking you to carry your cross daily and you're not submitting to his full authority in your life? Are there places where he's calling you to follow him and that means putting on the Lord Jesus and living your life as if, as if he were the one in charge? Maybe there's more growth there in, your, in that area of your life. I know there is for me. If you don't know Christ, is your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Him. It is the greatest decision you will ever make. It absolutely adds to every part of your life and gives you an opportunity to see the world in a different perspective through the eyes of Jesus. He loves you. He gave His life for you. He has forgiven you, and He wants you to know that and to walk with Him each and every day for the rest of your life. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you soon
0: you made that decision today to say yes i do want to choose jesus i do want to acknowledge him as my personal lord and savior congratulations we could not be more excited for you and we want to help you in that process and answer any questions that you might have and provide you resources to do that simply text jesus that's j-e-s-u-s to 706-449-0870 and one of our pastors on staff will be in touch with you because we want to help you as you walk out your faith If you thought, you know what, I would like to contribute to all that God is doing in and through Southside, I would like to partner with Him. You can do that in three simple ways. First, you can text GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 706-449-0870. Secondly, you can do it on the Southside app in the GIVE tab. Lastly, southside.online. You can do it through the GIVE section on our website. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and we hope you have a great rest of your week.